0: Yes, How long have you been playing music in Washington Square Park? Seventeen years. Seventeen years? Yep, yep. Yeah, so why, yeah, do you yeah. like, why do you
1: like playing in this particular park? Uh, hey. it's, it's one of the arts and parks, and you get to express yourself with some of the greatest artists down here. Yeah. You know?
0: On any given Sunday, if the weather is nice, you can stroll into Washington Square Park and hear all kinds of music being performed. In the western portion, by the chess tables, you can hear a jazz quartet. On the opposite side, there's a man performing piano sonatas on a grand piano he rolled into the park. And of course, by the wide fountain in the center of the park, there's a group of people singing folk songs. Strumming acoustic guitars and singing folk songs may seem innocent enough, but it's not a privilege park musicians take for granted. At various times in Washington Square's history, the right to sing had to be fought for, and sometimes to the extreme of violent confrontations, like what happened on Sunday, April 9th, 1961. As the now-defunct newspaper, the New York Daily Mirror described it, 3,000 beatniks rioted that day. They, quote, rioted because the city of New York tried to stop them from singing. Hi, I'm Matthew Billy, and this is Between the Liner Notes, a podcast about music, why it is the way it is, and how it got to be that way. We are a member of the Goat Rodeo Network. And a heads up to anyone with children in the room, this episode does contain some explicit language. The area that Washington Square Park sits in a neighborhood in New York City called Greenwich Village has always been the home to people who don't quite fit in. And ever since Washington Square became a park in 1849, it has been the place that those misfits, outcasts, rebels, and any marginalized people felt comfortable being themselves. Artists began moving to the village in the second half of the 19th century, and with them they brought a budding counterculture that fully blossomed at the start of the next.
2: It had a reputation at least from the 1910s, if not before, as partly a bohemian enclave. That's historian and museum curator Stephen Petrus. Not to suggest that the entire neighborhood was countercultural, but at least since the 1910s, there was a core group of people, political dissidents. People had a range of political ideologies. Some were communists. Anarchists, countercultural types who congregated in the village. And the village gained a reputation as a haven for nonconformists.
0: It wasn't long before folk singers, who also had progressive political ideologies, found a home in Greenwich Village and became part of the neighborhood's diverse counterculture. It goes back to the 1930s. Folk
2: singers were increasingly moving to the city during the Great Depression people like Leadbelly, Belly, Woody Guthrie, Josh White, Pete Seeger. And they were playing at venues in the village, like the Village Vanguard. And then the Almanac Singers formed in the early 1940s. And it was a loosely organized group, the first modern urban folk group, including Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie. Members came and went. Uh, but they often had parties in their apartment on West 10th Street to raise money for rent. They had hootenannies, like jam sessions in their uh, apartment in the early 40s. So that, I think, increased the association of folk music with the village.
0: The folk music that was fostered in rent parties and hootenannies soon spilled out of the tiny Greenwich Village apartments and into the neighborhood's cafes, bars, and even Washington Square Park. No one knows exactly how the ritual began, but sometime around the end of World War II, folk musicians began carrying their instruments to Washington Square every Sunday and would spend hours in the park singing folk songs together. These Sunday gatherings began as just a small group of friends, but as the 1950s wore on, they became more and more popular.
2: on a nice day from the spring to fall, you show up with your guitar, you're gonna see hundreds and hundreds of people. Many congregating around the fountain, the focal point of the park, some by the arch at the foot of Fifth Avenue. People gathering in small groups. Sometimes uh, you'd have the bluegrassers over here, other people who are singing pro-union songs over there. There was a variety within. Most people were there to join in, sing along. They might be there for social reasons. Their friends are hanging out there. Something to do on Sunday afternoon. There's a certain cachet, a coolness of going down to the village.
0: These Sunday sing-alongs attracted a variety of musicians, ranging from casual hobbyists to famous professionals like the members of Peter, Paul, and Mary. As the gatherings first started to become popular in the final years of the 1940s, the city of New York also began to take notice it gained attention and the
2: police department took notice, the parks department took notice. Then they began to regulate it. So you, a folk singer, would need a permit to perform in the park on Sunday. And it was fairly straightforward. You applied for the permit, filled out a form, and
0: you would get the permit. The new regulations came with certain restrictions, such as the type of instruments that could be played and the hours that the singing was permitted. Music performance was restricted to a few hours Sunday afternoon, and musicians could only perform with stringed instruments. Generally, the folk singers had no problem abiding by the city's regulations. In fact, they were happy about the string-instruments-only rule, because they didn't like competing with drum circles. To obtain the permit, normally one folk singer would apply for the whole group, and by 1960, that honor went to a man named Israel Young, better known by his nickname, Izzy.
2: Izzy Young opened the Folklore Center in 1957, a shop located on 110 McDougall Street, the heart of the village, just uh, around the corner from Washington Square. And he was a critical figure in the folk music, the New York folk music scene. He wasn't simply the owner of a shop. Izzy knew everybody on the scene. He would introduce young folk singers to each other. He would help folk singers get a gig at one of the local performance venues. And um, he was a great supporter of these gatherings in Washington Square. And he was the one by this point in the early 60s who tried to get a permit from the new parks commissioner.
0: Like all his permit-applying predecessors, Izzy Young never had a problem obtaining a license from the New York City Parks Department. This bureaucratic formality had continued smoothly for over a decade without any hiccup or conflict. But in the spring of 1961, when Izzy Young applied for a permit for folk singing with stringed instruments, his application came back denied. The Parks Department announced that it would begin enforcing a long-standing ordinance that prohibited musical performances on park property for advertising purposes or that caused a crowd to gather. They wanted the Sunday folk song sing-alongs to stop. And for Izzy Young, being denied a permit was also a denial of his First Amendment right to free speech. And somehow, he worked up the nerve to do something about it. Here's Izzy Young.
3: Somehow, I can't explain how I got the fucking nerve... To do something like this. Here's what happened. The New York City Department of Parks said that you cannot play folk music in the parks. I said, Hey, this is wrong. Hey, this is this is wrong. This is wrong. So I said, Well, let's get something going. And don't ask me where I got the nerve to do it. You're gonna have to figure out where the fuck I get my nerves from.
0: I'm not quite sure where Izzy Young found his nerve, but immediately after being denied a permit, Izzy hung a poster outside of the Folk Center at 110 McDougall Street, announcing a gathering on Sunday, April 9th, to protest the denied permit. The demonstration began at 2 p.m., the same time the folk singing would have normally.
4: I happened to be living in an apartment three flights up, directly above the Folklore Center. So uh, I was familiar with Izzy and his work and the place, which was a crossroads of the new folk scene there in the early
0: 60s. That's Dan Drayson, the maker of the award-winning documentary film, Sunday.
4: And of course, on the day of the uh, demonstration, everyone had gathered outside the Folklore Center as their kind of staging area. And when I heard that the singing in the park had been challenged by uh, local uh, officialdom, I thought, wow, this would make a great documentary.
0: By 2 p.m., about 50 folk singers were waiting outside of 110 McDougal Street for the protest to begin. Many brought guitars. Dan Drayson brought a camera, and Izzy Young decided to bring his mother.
3: And my mother was there. She wasn't afraid. Then it came to uh, walk from my store at Street, 110 McDougal Street, to go into the park.
4: The march started without him. It just started spontaneously going to the park, and Izzy was in the crowd. He wasn't actually physically leading it.
3: And there was no uh, leader. You know, it's not my style, basically. So we walk into the park, you know, that angry. We go in. Uh, and uh, the head of the second man in the police department to me says, Who is the leader here? Violating the law by coming in here. What? No. No. What are they
4: doing? No. I'm talking to one
2: person.
4: Okay, I'm listening. You are you a leader here? You're not really, not really. Well no, no, I just I just had to be violating first. the uh, rules and regulations laid down by the park and so we were talking them about five oh, was so you now uh, right, we could make get up here you talk. And when the police confronted the crowd as they came into the park, they had to call Izzy up to the front of the line and you know, to speak with the sergeant there.
3: All of a sudden you hear Izzy, where's Izzy? Where's Izzy? <laughs> so that's how I became a leader. Hey, how are you? Hi, is he coming? to be real young? Is young? Yeah. Yes. It, uh, it's against the park regulations.
1: He, uh, well, we feel uh, as
2: citizens
3: of America, we have a perfect
2: He's right to sing. We, feel the,
1: we feel that the we highlight. feel that the we feel the police
2: are illegal in their actions. No, we feel that no, like the no, park officer no, has no. being no. capricious in his actions. Let's, let's, let's put put us. It this is This uh, inspector is There is a regulation.
4: You're aware of that. You're aware of it because you filed an application. That's right. We've had this permit now for 17 years without
2: any problems. Wow. But not it's not up to Commissioner Mars to tell the people what kind of music is good or bad. He's telling the people that folk music brings degenerates and bad people. It's not so. Like, All right,
4: but we are we permitted to, to walk. This is our God-given we'll right to hit hit sing. Then Izzy is finally called to the front of the line and uh, engages in some dialogue with a police inspector and eventually, uh, essentially, gives a signal to the crowd to simply go to the square. And there's
0: really nothing the cops could do about that. Izzy Young led the demonstration to the fountain at the center of Washington Square. Fortunately, the water was off that day, so Izzy could stand where the fountain's water jets are and use it like a soapbox. The demonstrators then held hands and formed a circle around him.
3: And then I walked into the center of the park. I stood up on where the water would be. I went on that to be sure that they can't hit me. (laughs) You know, because the people could see me, so I'm not dumb. My mother was standing right next to me, you know, ready to...
4: They went to the square, they started singing and playing. (laughs) And the police were repeatedly confronted by some of the demonstrators who were quite straightforward in their challenge and in their curiosity. You know, why? Why are we forbidden from singing?
2: Function well, of the police to chase criminals. We
4: are chasing criminals. You are not chasing criminals. You are, you are, criminals. Criminals. You you are, are here at any. this moment, we stopping free police speech. Officer, you've got more crooks right. in this precinct than you've got people
1: who are. a prison. All right, that is. people a want to do something. I know that. I, I think the
2: police action is illegal and not our action. Please a minute. The police action is to protect the people. Please and give a minute. Please a minute.
4: So, at one point, they just went in and cleared out the square. Good, Sergeant. Good. Sergeant, have you got your men assembled? Yes, just move them out of there. The area around the fountain was mostly occupied by spectators, and some of them wanted to get back into the fountain and were forcibly pushed out by the cops. And one of them was collared and put in a chokehold and taken to a paddy wagon.
3: I've got a great folk song. It was written about 250 years ago. Oh, no, maybe
0: it wasn't. Maybe it's a new one.
2: But, Star Spangled Banner. Oh, say. Okay.
0: As the police started breaking up the demonstration, Izzy Young began to lead the crowd in the Star Spangled Banner. He believed the police would stand down during this display of patriotism.
3: Yeah, well, that was my idea, it. <laughs> I figured out that they can't beat the shit out of us. <laughs> you, know, you understand? I think
4: people were kind of urging her to scream. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't recall the exact... I mean, it was it was a very sudden thing, and I ran over there and tried to film it, but... Um, it was partly that, I think partly she was, as she says, kind of hysterical. The cop literally threw her down.
1: I just asked them to leave me alone so I could make it on my own because I have very high heels and I was tripping and they wouldn't.
0: Eventually, the police were successful in removing the protesters from the fountain. The circle of demonstrators holding hands was replaced by a ring of cops standing guard like sentries. Then, one man decided to break through the ring of police.
4: Now I have your number? I have a right to
1: get my number. outside!
4: The guy who was taking the paddy wagon at the end was a guy named Harold Humes, known as Doc Humes. And uh, he was a novelist and an interesting character, kind of an all-purpose troublemaker. And he may have provoked the cops because he knew that I was filming. And it worked perfectly. I mean, we got the perfect ending for the film.
0: By nightfall, the protesters had dispersed to the local coffee shops and bars. The reporters who observed the protest began writing up their own accounts of what they saw. The next day, the demonstration was front-page news in all of the New York newspapers.
2: It was extensively covered in the newspapers. I think there were there were numerous New York dailies. Mm-hmm. And you would get different viewpoints, too, because some were like right-wing tabloid papers. Others, like the Village Voice, leaned to the left. So some were more sympathetic to the Parks Commissioner, others more to the folk singers and their allies.
0: The newspapers didn't just take sides. They used as much sensational language as possible in their headlines. Even the New York Times, which normally is pretty good about upholding their journalistic objectivity, couldn't resist a juicy headline and referred to the protest as a riot. Unlike their headline, though, the Times' description of details is accurate, more or less. They reported that by the time the demonstration had ended, there were about 300 protesters in total. Of those 300, 10 were arrested and several people were injured, including three police officers. Other newspapers didn't always agree with those numbers. Depending on which side a newspaper was taking, the level of violence that was reported fluctuated a great deal. One newspaper, owned by the infamous William Randolph Hearst, called the New York Daily Mirror, exaggerated the facts quite a bit.
4: It was generally overstated in the press.
2: You've seen the headline, 3,000 Beatniks Riot in Village. They played, like, fast and loose with facts, And I think it was even the beatniks riot in this bold, type, two inches or so.
0: There were not 3,000 beatniks in the park that day. And if you watch Dan Drayson's documentary, you'll see that describing the event as a riot is a bit hyperbolic. Most of the violence was pushing, shoving, and in the case of those arrested, getting carried away. The police deliberately left their billy clubs behind to prevent an escalation of violence. And very few of the protesters touched the police at all.
2: I would not characterize the protesters as violent at all. I would say they were vigorous, they wanted their voices to be heard, they thought the ban was foolish and unjust.
4: That moment when that girl was thrown down on the pavement
0: was about the worst of it, at least in terms of what I saw. But even if many of the details reported in the newspapers were fictitious, the varied descriptions displayed a very real divide amongst the Greenwich Village community. Many actually supported the folk singing ban imposed by the park's commissioner.
2: And many people in support of him lived on Lower Fifth Avenue, close to Washington Square, right by the arch. So they had to deal with these people coming to their neighborhood, descending upon their neighborhood every Sunday afternoon. And this meant people of high income, Lower Fifth Avenue was an exclusive address and uh, many of his supporters were uh, Lower Fifth Avenue elite New Yorkers. Also, interestingly, many were from the South Village, a term we no longer use and it was still largely an Italian enclave. Second, third generation Italian Americans lived there. They had roots going back to the early 20th century. Their parents, grandparents immigrated there. So they felt a particular connection. We were born here, raised here, and so were our parents. And they felt a special connection to Washington Square. We work five days a week, six days a week, many in blue collar industries. We go to church on Sunday morning. We want to spend our Sunday afternoon just relaxing a little bit after church with our friends, sitting on park benches, socializing, and we have to deal with these, quote, beatniks.
3: The Italian community, they weren't so hot about it. They said all kinds of funny things. You know, homosexual and uh, the dirty people, (laughs) including me, kids, you know, smoking, you know, don't whatever, God knows whatever, fucking, you know,
4: all those things. Mostly, I think it was a general distaste for these ragtag kids who'd come in from all over the city, actually, on weekends, dressed in jeans and very informally, playing and singing folk music and bongo drums and the works. Again, this was just in, we were just getting into the 1960s. The 1950s culture was extremely conservative, most of these kids were really just busting out of that culture. And the mainstream culture hadn't really made the shift yet. So it was easy for these folks, who we would regard very benignly today. I mean, you watch the film, and (laughs) these kids have got, you know, short hair, and are are pretty well-groomed and everything. But even they were regarded as somewhat ragtag at the time.
2: Remember, this is 1961 now, so there's a budding counterculture And it's not just folk music in Greenwich Village, there's the beat literary movement was gaining significant attention in the country, in the village in particular, in the late 50s. So these so-called beatniks, and that was a pejorative term in the culture. If you were called a beatnik, that meant you really don't have serious goals in life, you dress a certain way, you talk a certain way, Many Americans at this point are aspiring to reach middle class status, move out to the suburbs. The white picket fence ideal, right? This is the American dream. And the beatniks represented the antithesis to it. And they were congregating in Washington Square along with the folkies. So it was a real diverse group that were coming there an increasing number of gays, African Americans some interracial couples and think about it 1960-61 i mean how many places could interracial couples go in public and hang out and feel comfortable
0: both sides organized themselves into activist groups the folk singers formed the right to sing committee the people in favor of the singing band organized the anti minstrel committee and began collecting signatures for a petition to keep folk music out of Washington Square. The Anti-Minstrel Committee even threatened to hold protests of their own and wrote letters to city officials and newspapers expressing their views. One member wrote this letter to the New York Times.
4: Letter to the Editor, June 5, 1961. The Washington Square Greenwich Village community, historically very tolerant and broad-minded, is accustomed to bohemians and all sorts of individualistic expressions of personality. But during the past two or three years, the community has experienced an extraordinary invasion of homosexuals and professional beatniks, mostly from outside the neighborhood, who seem to take pride in appearing in public in the dirtiest and most unkempt attire conceivable. To this is added irregular and shocking conduct. J O and Grundy, editor of the Greenwich Village News.
0: As the battle played out in the media, the Sunday protests continued. They would begin at a church adjacent to Washington Square, where Reverend Howard Moody, an unsung hero of the village, would sermonize about the importance of keeping the protests nonviolent. After the service, the protesters would head to the park and display their protest signs, chant, and sing. The first protest had only a few hundred people, but in the protests that followed, the extensive media attention swelled the number of demonstrators to a few thousand. Even more were showing up to watch. While the protesters were keeping the pressure on in public, Izzy Young was also fighting the folk singing ban in the courts.
3: The court title is Israel Young against the City of New York. <laughs> That's the only time I was on, on the first side instead of the second side.
0: <laughs> While the legal battle was winding its way through the New York state court system and with no sign of the Sunday protesters giving up, the mayor of New York City, Robert Wagner, decided that something had to be done. Wagner was getting a lot of heat for the singing ban and decided to overrule the Parks Commissioner.
2: And Finally, I think it was six weeks later, the mayor repealed the ban, and they got let back in under some kind of trial basis, restricted to performing between the arch and the fountain.
1: New York Times, May 15th, 1961. Shortly after 12 p.m., the police roped off an asphalt area near the arch. The singing and strumming started before the 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. period that the mayor had allotted for the experiment. Soon, a pedestrian could listen to three renditions of Down by the Riverside as he proceeded from one group to the next. By 5 p.m., the crowd in the folk singing area started thinning out, revealing a landscape of ice cream wrappers and beer cans. The police did not want to interfere with two or three youngsters who continued singing after 6 p.m. Eventually, the singers left and went to an espresso shop.
2: I think the mayor realized the band was foolish, that these folk singers weren't creating problems and trouble. And I also think the mayor was running for re-election in 1961, and now we're in May 1961. And he did not want to have Greenwich Village oppose him because it was such a well-organized neighborhood. It got a lot of media attention, and it was making his administration look bad. And so I think he just made the concessions to the folk singers.
0: Despite Mayor Wagner's concessions, Izzy Young continued to press the issue in court. And on July 7th, nearly three months after the first protest, the appellate division of the New York State Supreme Court overturned the folk music ban. The memorandum said that the commissioner had acted improperly in denying an application for such a permit without having provided the applicant with a specific alternate site. In other words, Izzy Young beat the city of New York.
3: We beat them, yes. That's the word. Thank you. And I did it without money.
0: One of the legal arguments used to defend the folk singers was that the city of New York had been granting them permits to sing in the park uninterrupted for over a decade. Why then, at this specific moment in time, did the Parks Department decide to ignore years of precedent and deny the permit? That decision was made by a man who had been appointed Parks Commissioner only three months before he instituted the ban. His name is Newbold Morris. He
2: was a prominent figure in New York politics in the mid-20th century. In a broader sense, he was a patrician. His family was prominent going back to the colonial era in American history. And his family, most of them attended Groton School, went to Yale. And he also was on the board at Lincoln Center, newly established Cultural Performance Center, of course, on Manhattan's Upper West Side. And, uh, you know, he had a particular vision about what art was. And, yeah, it was associated with high culture, capital C culture, symphonic orchestra, classical music, fine arts. You would never have heard, say, folk music in Lincoln Center. And he looked as Parks Commissioner at these gatherings on Sunday
0: afternoon in Washington Square and was dismissive, did not appreciate them. While researching this episode, I heard many speculations as to why New Bold Morris banned folk singing. Many believe that a powerful interest group pushed him to do it. Some sources said it was the real estate interest concerned that swarms of beatniks would lower property values. Some said it was the president of New York University who didn't like the bohemian element near his college. Others claimed it was the old Italian residents who couldn't stand the homosexual and interracial relationships being flaunted in Washington Square. Or maybe even some rich friends of Morris's who lived near the park and didn't want to listen to incessant folk singing every Sunday. If there was an interest group lobbying New Bald Morris, publicly, he never let on.
2: When Morris was interviewed by the papers, he said, well, no, I'm respectful. It's just the issue here is the crowds are too big and they're trampling the park's grass and shrubbery. And some people responded, they're playing on asphalt by the fountain. There's no grass
0: there. While Stephen Petrus was researching his book, Folk City, he dug around the New York City Parks Department archives and discovered that there was a lot more to Morris's decision than simply concern for the grass and shrubbery. Petrus unearthed a long-forgotten document that has sat untouched in a box collecting dust for over half a century. It's a memo Newbold Morris wrote to his subordinates at the Parks Department. He issued an internal memo,
2: and I read it. My jaw dropped when he wrote these dismissive words about folk singers and weird costumes attracting a weird public.
0: I want to emphasize, I am not opposed to the wonderful symphony concerts, bands, quartets, or chamber music in Washington Square Park. What I am against is these fellows that come from miles away to display the most terrible costumes, haircuts, etc., and who play bongo drums and other weird instruments attracting a weird public. I patrolled the area on Sunday, and I was shocked. Conditions are much worse than when we were down there last year. You cannot call it a park anymore. It is so heavily used, not by the neighborhood, but by these freaks, that there literally was not room on the walks. Parks Commissioner Newbold Morris. Despite Morris's distaste for the so-called freaks in Washington Square, when the mayor ordered him to start granting the permit again, Morris obliged. His final words on the issue were said to the New York Times, I intend to continue granting permits on an individual basis unless the situation gets out of hand. I never had the slightest hostility towards folk singing or folk singers. I am a singer myself. When the Times asked Izzy Young for a response statement, he said this, We all hope that Commissioner Morris will come down to the park and lead us in some songs.
4: Loudly the notes of the sparrow are sounding, squawks of the pigeons are filling the air. Over the grass, a policeman comes bounding to silence the singing in Washington Square. Newbold Morris, sir, our park commissioner, says stop the music and that they will do.
2: Let not a note be heard from either man or bird. Strike down the guitarists, oh morris a
0: Around the same time the appellate court ruled in favor of Izzy Young, Dan Drayson had finished editing his footage of the first protest. The result was a documentary film titled Sunday. About three months and about $700
4: later, which was all the money I had in the world, (laughs) the film was finished. My distributor managed to get Sunday into a bunch of film festivals in Boston, San Francisco, several festivals in Europe. And to everyone's surprise, it started winning prizes right and left. And uh, it racked up nine international awards before I knew it. Let's see, I was uh, 61, I would have been 18. When I made the film Up with the holy grass fight for the park for
0: sunday is now part of the museum of modern arts permanent collection but the legacy of the protests extends well beyond museum walls here's katherine swan the editor of the washington square park blog
1: what happened in the 60s is what influences the park to this day it turned a tide in some way for the park and has helped it because that musical, people still believe that is so important to keep that aspect of Washington Square Park.
0: Even Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City, tipped his hat to Izzy Young and the protesters.
1: Around the same time, it was the 50th anniversary of the Beatnik riot. And Mayor Bloomberg wrote this, like, commemorative letter applauding what had gone on and the music in Greenwich Village and Washington Square Park, sort of at the same time this crackdown on the music was happening. It was sort of strange.
0: Before the ink was dry on Mayor Bloomberg's letter, the Parks Department once again decided to try to regulate music in Washington Square Park. They drafted a set of rules that prohibited musicians from performing near a bench or a monument. The rules are pretty extreme, considering that Washington Square is filled with benches and monuments.
1: There was like one little segment, according to these new rules they put into place, that performances could take place. It was maybe 50 feet from the arch or the fountain, no performances, five or six feet from a bench. So somebody actually figured out that there was like one little space you could be with these rules, and they started ticketing and fining, you know, different musicians who were in the park.
0: The police began ticketing musicians, many of whom had been playing in the park for years without any conflict at all. Like in 1961, people fought back. But this time, rather than stage a public protest with picket signs and illegal singing, residents aired their grievances at the official community board meeting.
1: When news got out that they were like ticketing performers and not allowing performances in the park, the community board held a hearing and the community rallied around the issue. There was such an outcry, like the New York Times did a story, and then, you know, others followed suit, and then the community board had the hearing, and then they, it was very quietly revealed that they had backed away from it.
0: Once again, the musicians defeated the Parks Department, and music continues to be played in Washington Square. The Parks Department is testing out a more moderate means of regulating music, specifically the volume of the performers. They have placed what are called step-up sergeants in Washington Square, with decibel meters measuring the volume of the music. If it's too loud, the step-up sergeant asks them to quiet down. No one knows if this will be a long-term solution that satisfies both sides, but so far, there have been very few complaints. Besides inspiring village residents to fight to preserve the culture of Washington Square, the impact of the folk music protest extends far beyond the borders of Greenwich Village. Many of the musicians who spent their Sunday afternoons singing in Washington Square eventually became part of a movement in American popular music called the folk revival. That movement still influences our culture to this day. The folk music
4: movement, particularly in you know in New York at the time, was sort of the leading edge of that. It led to the, it was the beginning of the popular music of the 70s. And it was the womb of the great mid-late 60s, early 70s folk, pop, rock, music revolution. You know, it gave birth to people like Bob Dylan, obviously, and um, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and eventually the Beatles
0: and so on. Many things have changed in Greenwich Village since April 9th, 1961. Most of the folk singers who live there no longer do. Most of the cafes the folk singers performed in have closed down. Izzy Young moved to Sweden and took his folk center, once located at 110 McDougall Street, with him. In its place is a vintage clothing store with very little left to remind you of what was once there. But the one thing that hasn't changed and has remained constant through all the decades is that every Sunday, if the weather is nice, you can stroll into Washington Square Park and hear people strumming guitars and singing folk songs. This episode was produced by me, Matthew Billy. Special thanks to all my guests, which includes Stephen Petrus. You can find his book, Folk City, for sale online. Dan Dresen, check out his website at dandrayson.com. Catherine Swan, her blog is washingtonsquareparkblog.com. And last but not least, Izzy Young, who currently owns the Folk Central in Stockholm, Sweden. The guest voiceover artists were Adam Haynesfurther, Martin Franzini, and Laura Vandiver. The instrumental music was composed and performed by Josh Woodward. Special thanks to Jason Silverman for creating the graphics and website. We are distributed by the Goat Rodeo Network. And of course, thanks for listening. We'll talk some more on the next Between the Liner Notes.